The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. I give you a 50-50 chance of guessing if I chose today's text. (laughs) The answer is a resounding no. I did not choose today's text, and at first my response was horror, Horror at being called out for who I am, horror for getting to hint at who you also might be, and horror at reading this particular text publicly outside during Pride Weekend here in Iowa City. After all, we might get uncomfortable. But then I thought, we are not cowardly people. So let's dive headlong into these issues of gender and marriage and divorce and sin. <clears throat> and who knows, we might even chuckle a little bit along the way. Way back in seminary, my preaching professor said, if there is an assigned text for a particular Sunday that makes the preacher uncomfortable, the preacher is to lean into that text. Today we will be leaning. Sometimes, if you lean into the word of God, you get surprised. Our gospel begins with the Pharisees. Now remember, these are the Jews in Jesus' time who are distinguished by their strict adherence to the written and traditional law, often with an air of superiority. Anyway, they come to Jesus and they quiz him. Quick, they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus immediately answers, what did Moses say about that? And they reply, he said men can divorce their wives. Jesus says, Moses said that because you are unfeeling and you lack compassion. And then Jesus quotes Genesis to them. From the beginning of creation, he says, God made them male and female. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Well, that's not at all how that conversation was supposed to go. And the Pharisees walk away, stroking their chins, because who knows? Maybe some of them were divorced. Later on, the disciples follow up on that. Hey, Jesus, they say, that thing that you said back there to the Pharisees, that was just to trip them up, right? It's still okay for a man to divorce his wife, right? Well, actually, says Jesus, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Hmm, again, that's not at all the answer that we were hoping to get, the disciples think, and they walk away stroking their chins because who knows, maybe some of them are divorced. So then the people start bringing their little kids up to Jesus to play with him, but the disciples shoo them away. He's kind of in a bad mood, they say, kind of grouchy, kind of judgy, best to come back another time. But Jesus says, no, bring them here. Perhaps... After the suspicious queries and skeptical tests of the adult Pharisees and disciples, Jesus just wants to be around little ones who haven't yet learned about the trappings of morality and hypocrisy and judgment. They are just little kids who have not yet been taught whom to hate. And Jesus declares the kingdom of God belongs to them and ones like them. Okay, then, so let me just come clean. If we take Jesus' words in today's gospel literally, I, as a woman who has divorced her husband and has married another, am guilty of committing adultery. But so are you. More on that in a bit. See? Leaning into the text. I told you this would be fun. Here is the perfect place to pull in our reading from Hebrews, which opens with these beautiful words. God spoke to us in many and various ways in the past, but now, in these last days, God has spoken to us by a son. Here's why that scripture is so very helpful for us today. Christians who want to fight about issues of morality or sexuality hardly ever bring up the New Testament. We always bring up the Old Testament and start flinging Bible verses back and forth, mostly from Leviticus. We dredge up verses from the prophets, kings, and judges to prove our point in some sort of theological ping-pong. This is called cherry-picking. And yet, what is the author of Hebrews telling us here? Yes, God has spoken to us in days gone by through the prophets and the kings and the judges, but now, now in these last days, God speaks to us in a new way, through Jesus. So then what does Jesus have to say about adultery? Stop doing it, you are forgiven. What does Jesus have to say about homosexuality? Nothing. What does Jesus have to say about judging others? Plenty. Don't judge, he says, so that you are not judged. Love your enemies, he says. Don't kill them. Speak truth in love plainly to one another, not anonymously and cowardly. If you want to judge murderers, remember you kill another person whenever you look at them with hatred. 
If you want to judge adulterers, remember you cheat on your partner every time you look at another person with lust. Jesus speaks to us in a new way, revealing that none are perfect, none are entitled to the moral upper hand. An illustration. There were truths I used to say to my sons when they were little. Never cross the street without holding my hand. Do not eat grapes until I cut them into little pieces. You may not go around the block alone. Tell me when you have to use the potty. These truths guided them, and in some cases kept them alive when they were little, but now they've grown up a little bit. These things are still truths, but now there are other truths that also govern their lives. They are allowed to cross the street without me. They do eat whole grapes. They journey around the block and further. And I certainly never want to know if they need to use the potty. But nonetheless, these former truths inform who they have become today. They were life-saving and life-giving. But now they enjoy new freedoms because their earlier truths gave them structure and foundation. Christians do not discount the Old Testament But it is Jesus, Son of God, who speaks to us in a new way today. Look, we're not pretending that the Bible doesn't say certain things about marriage and divorce and human sexuality, but we also must remember context and that the Bible says a lot of things that have changed over time. From what I can tell today, no one has brought a burnt offering to worship today. We don't think twice about eating a cheeseburger, even though Leviticus says not to eat meat and dairy in the same meal. We don't hesitate to wear an outfit of mixed fibers together, such as wool and cotton. I've never once been declared clean for menstruating or banished to a red tent for an entire week, although there were many times after my sons were born I would have paid good money to do so. Several of us have tattoos here, although this also breaks Levitical law. I'm sure none of us have torn down our houses after having discovered mold or mildew in it, and you get the picture. Let those whom God has joined together, let no one separate. We tear apart all kinds of things that God has joined together. But in the case of marriage, the Bible does not say that if ones who are joined together become separated, that they are somehow God-forsaken or despised by God. Christians do not claim that the Old Testament is irrelevant at all. On the contrary, we carry these truths with us into the time of Jesus in order to digest all of Scripture for what it is and receive with awe and wonder the grace that it contains from Genesis to Revelation. Instead of picking specific verses to support this agenda or that, We discern what the Word of God really stands for, what it embodies from start to finish, and that is grace. It's no accident that Jesus, when quizzed about broken relationships and power structures, casts his line way back to the beginning to Genesis to remind us of God's enduring grace as the ages evolve and change. According to Genesis, there are two contrasting creation accounts, which in and of itself is something to note when confronted with someone who claims to take the Bible literally. 
In the first account, God works tirelessly for six days to create earth and sea and sky and planets and animals and finally creates humans at the end and then rests on the seventh day. In the second account, there's no mention of days, and humans are created early on, followed by the garden, which they are to till, and then animals and such are created. The two accounts are diametrically opposed. Now, if we take the Bible literally, we must insist that one must be wrong. But a literalist can't do that, because then that would discredit a portion of Scripture. Instead, we unearth beauty and genius in this duality of creation stories, like two voices singing in harmony. Rather than fighting about which is right or wrong, we discover the reality that two things can coexist, even when they don't seem to make sense all the time. Like marriage can be between a man and a woman, it can also be between two men and two women. Like a man, a man can be the head of the household, or a woman can be the head of a household. Like we trust in science to explain creation, but we can also trust theology to interpret it. One thing these two creation accounts hold in common is that God is ever-expanding in God's capacity to create and love creation. And if we are created in God's image, are we not also called to be ever-expanding in our capacity to love? Over eons of creation, as our universe continues to expand, in six days of hard work, however many millions of years a day might be, it is, is it impossible for us to believe that God's creation is ever-widening? After all, in Genesis, God empowers the earth to change and to grow. Let the earth bring forth vegetation, God says. Let the water teem with living creatures, God says. Let the earth produce animals, each evolution and iteration in its own time across the ages. God charges creation to do its thing, and it continues to do so today, ever-evolving, ever-expanding. There is a dawning and a dying of each day, of each system, of each kingdom. Days end, structures crumble, norms are broken. In the Hebrew Bible, the day begins at night, which is why in Genesis it says there was evening and there was morning the first day and the second day. God creates while the world sleeps. When our day is over, God's day begins while creation sleeps. Something beautiful emerges from what once was. It used to be that marriage was only for a man and a woman. It used to be only men could vote. It used to be black people were sent to the back of the bus. It used to be segregated schools and lunch counters. It used to be slavery was legal. It used to be children were forced to work. It used to be women couldn't be pastors. These days, these norms are gone and have given birth to new days and new norms. Creation is ever-changing, ever-expanding at God's charge. Finally, then, is it so impossible for you to believe that you are also a part of God's ongoing creation, can you grasp the reality that whether you are divorced or single or straight or gay, that God's grace ever widens, ever expands until it finally embraces you 
Whatever institutions or systems that may have shoved you out, God welcomes you in. God's ways are not the world's ways. When the world says no to you, God says yes. God continues to charge creation and entrust all of the Earth's inhabitants to do our thing, to participate in this creation, to love science, to resist tyranny, to fight injustice, to include and not exclude, to widen and not narrow, to love and not judge, to unlearn the ways of hatred that we have all learned, and to revert to a childlike wonder of this creation and everything and everyone that it contains. While we sleep, God affects changes in hearts and minds so that we awaken not bound to what has been, but open to what might be. God's ongoing creation happens with and for you to bring you into a kingdom filled with beautiful children just like you. There have been too many days and too many norms within society and within our church that have harmed and oppressed and excluded. But those days are gone, and today is a new day. You are God's new day. You are God's ongoing creation. You are God's eighth day. Amen. <laughs>